Well, hey, friends, before we start today's episode, I want to remind you and encourage you to go explore the Right Setup Collective. Now, what is the Right Setup Collective? It is a space for hungry, high-capacity leaders to navigate the complexities of your life and leadership in a way that you're not going to find anywhere else. For a while now, we've had our Right Setup community on Facebook, which is amazing. But social media doesn't allow us to care for leaders in a way that we really need to. Our coaching and our experiences and everything we do at Stay Forth Designs lives at the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. And for a while now, we've needed a space where we could live in between our coaching and experiences. And the Right Side Up Collective allows us to do that. So do me a favor. Click the link in the show notes below or head to rightsideupcollective.com. Explore all of the benefits and take your next step to getting healthy and reaching more impact in a like-hearted community with life-giving content and hungry leaders all taking their practical next step who want to grow with you through ongoing coaching and amazing benefits. The link is in the show notes below. Now on to today's episode where Alan has a wonderful conversation with Brian Sanders about life and calling and how the two are dynamic and not static. So enjoy today's episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey man, it's good to see you. Man, so um, we're going to talk about calling uh, here today, but really you have a unique take on it. Loved the book and um, we will get to that. Why don't you share what you've been up to that led you to be so fascinated by calling for so many years? Well, you you, you may know like we, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, we um, broke away a little bit from the traditional approach to church and tried to try to create a network form of church, which had a bias towards mission. And that the, the, the lever or maybe mechanism towards people forming micro churches is really calling. So in other words, you can't really do micro church in our ecosystem. You can't really do a micro church if you don't have a sense of calling. <clears throat> so at first we approached it like, it's this one-off thing where you kind of get in a room and you hunker down and you say, Lord, I, you know, I'm not going to leave until I get a sense of my calling. And then, and then that you're sent to a certain group of people or a certain demograph or a certain place in the city or something like that. And that gives you, that gives you sort of missional enterprise out of that. But just, just for doing that for so many years, we saw how people kept having these little crises about that event or, revisioning that event or things just went wrong in their life or they they actually grew and changed they they were a different person than we were when they were 25 and they asked that initial question but it felt wrong or and disorienting so thought, that like they were changing what had happened in that room and therefore shifting their calling right or just is is it, am i supposed to hold on to this even though my life is completely different than when i first heard this word mm. or, or like the circumstances have totally changed or i'm changing or my opportunities are changing, but that disorientation is a good word. Like a disorientation creates an identity crisis. I think where you're asking yourself, who am I now in this, this current phase of life I'm in or whatever. So we just started, no, I just started noticing that and recognizing, Oh, calling is probably more dynamic than that. It's not a static thing. It's something that, you know, and it suddenly makes perfect sense that God would be walking with us through our development and through the, the changes of our lives. I mean, if, if you and I are meant to grow spiritually, emotionally, relationally, 
you know, then then we're not the same person in a sense when we're when we're forty that we were when we were twenty five or thirty. And so, does that you know would our calling evolve or change with the changes of our lives? And I think I started saying it does. And so I, I just have this theory or this taxonomy of really psychosocial development as it relates to calling, which is really what the book is about. Yeah, I will say I did not see it coming that you were going to reference people like Eric Erickson and you're going to talk, you know, psychology here. And then you're going to bring in this theory here that you say, this is good. I don't fully agree with this. This is developed. So I didn't expect the nuance of the book. I really like that. I will say also as a parent, um, if you're listening to this and you're a parent, there was some extra gems in there, Brian, that I didn't expect. It's like you've raised a kid or two, uh, and had a few things to say on that. So I think there were some bonuses, uh, along the way. I'm curious, kind of before we dig into these stages, then if you were to go back 15 years, how would you lead that conversation on calling differently? Well, it helped that we were kind of homogenous, you know, age-wise, we were in a similar stage. So I don't think there's a lot of damage in the sense that we all kind of entered in with the same question uh, and then and then, and then then applied it in a sense in the same way. But where I think it became problematic is as we grew older, but we still had this kind of pipeline of college-age people coming in and we, we started feeling, okay, what, how does this apply to us? And so I think now um, – I would definitely want to help people see that that calling has these different layers. Like one is what you're meant to do, but the other is maybe intimacy with God and a call to him and actually your character development, maybe what the Bible would call sanctification, you know, like, so growth and development, that's, that's perfectly, perfectly appropriate language for us to use to harness, you know, but the Bible is not really using that, that, term you know growth or development it's talking about sanctification which is really to become to be conformed to the image of jesus and and maturity i guess is a, is a word and also um you know holiness like to to, to sin less like i don't know to be less wicked in the world to be to be more gentle or more loving or more more virtuous you know um so so th- that is our calling right too we're 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 meant to, over the course of our life, look more and more like Jesus. And that's a character trajectory, which is slightly different than, you know, my career or, or what I'm supposed to do in mission, you know? And I think keeping those, I, I probably would have added that, that character trajectory to the earlier conversations. Mm, that's good. So six seasons of calling. Um, again, the focus on it being dynamic is really helpful because there's a lot of simplistic stuff out there about calling that we just kind of see through. So I just appreciated that. But if you could just give a little bit of an overview, we kind of know these different stages, but you added kind of some different texture or topography to them. So first of all, childhood, the season of bonding. Tell us more about that as it relates to discipleship. Yeah, so so first of all, I'm, I'm, ch- I'm chopping up a life into like the metaphor of you know, a week, six days, God created the world in six days. Maybe we're meant to create something with the, with the framework of our lives. So if you, if you do that, it's about 12 year segments, you know, each day, I suppose. So, so zero to 12, 12 to 24, 24 to 36, 36 to 48, so on. Um, yeah. And so if I'm looking at that first 12 years of life, um, my argument is the, the calling, and it might be weird. Like why, why would a child have a calling? <laughs> But I think the more you think about it, the more you realize, you know, God has something for us to do. 
at each phase of our lives, which bears witness to his kingdom, which reflects his goodness, his glory, which, you know, winks or hints toward his reign. And of course, children have, a call. you know, if that's what it is, of course, children are bear, bearing witness to the kingdom. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear on that, you know. So so there's all these things we can put on childhood. Um, but my argument is essentially it's about um, bonding and play. So bonding is about discovering the world as something that is essentially relational. And then play, which is discovering the world as something that is essentially meant to deliver joy. So the, one of the research that I quote is, is saying like play is the only thing that human beings do. Pure play is the only thing we do strictly for joy, not for some other reason. You know, you might enjoy competing in sport or something, but there's more going on than just joy. Yep. Uh, whereas kids, when they play, it's strictly about joy, just ha- enjoying themselves, having a good time. And I think there are other, obviously there are other facets of childhood, but to me, that's essential that the world is a place that's meant to be essentially relational for the purpose of joy. That's good. Okay. Let's camp on that for a second. I got to interrupt you because I'm working with leaders who are many times on the edge of burnout leaders in thirties and forties saying, I have no hobbies. They have lost play and have therefore lost life. And I just don't want to miss that moment to say that there's something we have essentially lost when there is joy there and it's related to play, right? Yeah. Or when Jesus says, you know, you can't really enter the kingdom unless you become like one of these little children. Um, and that word, that Greek word pros, like it's where we get the word pro. So like the kingdom is pro children. It's not in the sense that we just like fight for children, but that we're actually to enter it, you sort of have to somehow embody being a child. And if I'm right, and and the core motive of childhood is play, then if you don't know how to to chase joy, you know, and and if you don't know how to to be playful or to play, then I'm not sure you can really fully understand the kingdom and probably not receive its benefits or its rewards. So again, I would argue that the calling of a child in the first 12 years of life is to strictly be a child. In other words, it's the only stage of life where you are exactly what you're meant to be. Mm. You're not supposed to do something else. And and actually when we force kids out of their childhood too soon, we harm them probably. Yeah. You know, we, we, we do them a disservice. And if we never had that as a child, maybe there's a recovery there or – um, a healing that possibly has to happen where we ask God, Lord, give me that. Like I was, I grew up too fast or abuse and isolation, neglect, those things, they steal play or they steal that relational core. Like the world isn't, isn't, or that the world is full of relationships, but they're all dangerous. You know, they're all potentially harmful or something. So I, I don't know that much about, I'm not a great probably voice on how to achieve that healing <laughs> but it seems like it seems like it is something that you, you that god could do in our lives yeah. absolutely man all right adolescence season of learning tell us more yeah so 12 to 24 i think essentially is about you know if, if we're discovering the world as a child as relational then you're discovering the world as a student in that 12 to 24 you're discovering kind of the the contours of the world you know what's right what's wrong who's who can be trusted who can't who am i you know, all of that. So I actually think, you know, the adolescent is meant to push against the world as they see it because they're testing it. They're examining it. They're experimenting with it. 
So some of what we look at as adolescents, we, we label rebellion, maybe isn't actually rebellion. You know, I cite the story of Jesus in the temple at 12 and, and kind of getting in trouble, you know, with his parents, <laughs> you know, Where you been? Um, yeah, like he, anyway, I would be, I would have been upset with him too, if he was my kid. So, <laughs> so, you know, and, and we all know teenagers do that. They, they push the world. And of course, college, I'm including college to this up to 24, which is, you know, that's neurologically when your prefrontal cortex is finished wiring, uh, it's actually 24, 25. So even in college, it's, we're meant to we're meant to figure out how the world works and what we really think about it. And so I think I think that in that core identity, that core calling for that stage of life is to to learn, to be a learner, to be a student, to see yourself essentially as a student of the world. And even and that means testing, and that means pushing your parents or your faith, uh, or for those of us that have teenagers, letting our kids question. Um, the way we do things, the rules we have, our, our, our sense of morality, um, and yes, even our thoughts about God. How does adolescence then launch us into early career? Yeah, so, I, well, first of all, I think we, that can be um, rushed, you know, because they, 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 they get us at like 19 and they say, what's your major? You know, like you're supposed to know um, the, the trajectory of the rest of your life. That's, that's pr- probably not helpful. That's why so many of us don't use our majors. <laughs> you know, right. Or uh, many of the classes uh, that we took and paid a whole lot of money for, for that matter. Correct. Yeah. So it's not, I would say it's not the greatest timing, but, um, but you know, then I would say, okay, your, your, your early career, that 24 to 36, in my mind, that's about really learning how to be a servant. It's learning how to be a team member get under somebody else's vision, somebody else's leadership and learn to follow, learn to, before you lead, you probably should learn to be someone who can be led. And again, that's a character thing. And I think, and then I think what you do in that time is you're experimenting with skills and gifts and things like that. So I I think it's great in that phase of life to just, I think you're meant to try everything you know, to try everything professionally that you can to get in a role or roles where if they ask you to do a little bit of sales or a little bit of bookkeeping or a little bit of, you know, I don't know, hospitality or management or speaking or writing or whatever, just try it all. Fail at lots of it because then you'll start to discover what you're good at. We What, what happens is we probably rush that stage of early career and think I need to know exactly what I'm good at already. And I need to make my mark on the world now. And that creates a ton of anxiety, which I think is unnecessary. Or as, as is the case with all these cautionary tales right now in the Christian world, with these leaders that were kind of tapped, you know, their hands were laid on them at 24, 25, and they were, they were rushed into hierarchical leadership and they, they were, they, ended up a disaster, you know, because they didn't really learn how to follow someone else, you know? Um, So I think the name of the game then is, can you serve something else? Can you, can you come under, can you be a team player and can you try loads of things to discover what you're good at and what you're not good at? Mm, That's good. I love the focus today on entrepreneurship, but I have that fear, right? As I read your book, Overlaying Cultural narratives it's like you're 25 you better get started on launching your thing 
this big thing, be an online influencer, have a following, and you're saying the exact opposite. This is actually a season to serve, fail some, come underneath somebody else's safe leadership. As you even discover, know what you want to do as you progress in your career. I thought that was really helpful, Brian. Yeah. Um, mid-career. So what does that birth into uh, in this season of mid-career? Yeah, so am I, am I, from my vantage point, what happens to us in our early 30s is we start feeling frustration with that. So we're part of a team. We've been under somebody else's leadership. We start feeling like, ah, this can be done better. You know, something isn't quite right. Something in our world. It doesn't have to be work. It can be work. It could be church. It could be volunteering, nonprofits, something, your neighborhood, something you care about, the sports club you're a part of or something. You just think, ah, this isn't right. This could be done better. And part of that is because you've, you've discovered what you're actually really good at. And you start having kind of prophetic insight, you know, in your early 30s. Uh, and, and, and you're feeling the unrest of like, uh, this, this should be done better. This could be done better. And I think that's meant to lead us into a season of creativity. You know what I would say, the call to be a maker. Um, and, and I think you can, you, you step into that season of creating something that's unique that maybe only you could do. Be precisely because you've learned what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I would say that's then the season where you kind of curtail the things you're not good at. You don't necessarily keep experimenting or keep doing that bit of the job that you hate or that you're actually no good at. It's time to maybe let go of that and to double down and focus on what you're actually particularly excellent at. Um, you probably, if it's a career-related thing, you probably could start calling the shots a little bit uh, with that. But it doesn't have to be even just within your job. I just think, I think there's, all of us are meant to create. All of us are meant to bring something into the world that didn't exist and wouldn't exist if you didn't. And that could be something very small, like a piece of curriculum. It could be something really big, like an organization. But, but it's inside all of us. But I, but I think that's meant to come out at this stage of life, not too soon. That's not to say we're not creating things earlier in our lives. Of course we are. But this is our moment in a sense to shine because you really know you've and then you've learned to serve. So you're ready to lead and you're ready to maybe step out and say, let's do let's do this differently. So that would be the time where if you were part of I don't know if you were part of a. I don't know, the a care agency in the foster care system or something like that. And you just oh, it's so wrong. This is a time to break off and start your own agency. You know, <laughs> yep. uh, if, if you if you've been under a church leadership and you just think, oh, this so much of this I just don't agree with. I think that's the point in your life. You first learn to submit, but then at that point in your life, you say, let's, let's go start a different kind of church, um, mm. you know, something like that. So I, I'd say that's the, the season of being a maker. Mm. What's interesting, Brian, this follows the exact trajectory of my own life, I mean, even down to the years. I mean, kind of creepy and haunting wow. almost in the, in the ways of like, <laughs> you're like 13, starting a business as a kid, kind of an entrepreneur kid. Um, 20, right about 24, stepping into uh, church leadership, just serving various roles underneath covering leadership, serving there for 13 years. And then at 36, 37, launching Stay Forth Designs and what we get to do now. And so it's just interesting. I'm sure you've seen that pattern many times. I even sent you an article on the gifts of the different decades, which has been really interesting that other people seeing these patterns um, normalizes you a little bit. Maybe this isn't so crazy to launch out in that. So if you're listening and you're feeling some resonance to this, guys, pick up the book. I think it actually will be helpful, maybe even healing for some of you 
as you sense these desires. I, I thought it was really helpful, Brian, to name those. Uh, late career, right? What is what does that season of creating lend itself into? Yeah, so you, you you probably get when I would say when you turn about you know forty eight, you kind of don't need to be at the center of the thing anymore. You, you probably if you're healthy, um, you 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 still want to be involved, but you want to let go a little bit, and you you start to feel more like a mentor. This is so up from maker to mentor. Um, you you, you see you see the wisdom maybe in scaling what you know or what you've discovered. So if, if that, if that, um, you know, day, day four thing was about making something and the focus of that and building a team around that, then day five is about maybe giving that away, that thing you made, the thing you discovered, whatever. Um, and so I, I, I do see that pattern too, like people my age that are really thinking, I, I don't, I don't probably need to be the one leading anymore directly, but I want to, but I want to work with leaders. You know, I want to, I want to multiply through others. Um, it's really something kind of beautiful about that phase as well, but it does involve some level of letting go. And most of us have been a little bit beat up. So I think when you come through that maker time where you're the man or you're the woman and you're the, you're the sort of center of the creative world that you're a part of, um, you're going to take some, some uh, licks. You know, there will be some suffering probably that will come anytime you lead people. Um, things will go wrong. <laughs> there will be some pain. And so dealing with that, wrestling with that, but then finding maybe a new equilibrium in that. So to me, it's about that, that idea of maybe mentorship and leading through others mm-hmm. in that day. And then transition, of course, that season of giving leads to that season of leaving. What else there do you think is helpful to speak about calling and transition? It's funny. I'm the most nervous about this one, dude, because, uh, you know, obviously I haven't lived it. And uh, so I'm really, I'm really, t- re- you know, asking all my, the people I know in this phase of life and nervous about how they'll read it because I'm saying, so maker to mentor to mystic. And this last day is I probably have tried harder to understand it than any day because it's, it's, it's ahead of me still. Um, but most, most people I know that are in this phase of life, 60 plus, you know, they're, they're really resonating with the idea of your life. Your, your circle keeps getting smaller, but, but what you have to give is so profoundly potent. Um, and it, and it becomes very vertical. It becomes very uh, mystical. So I, I, I look at um, the Apostle John as an example. He's, he's probably the oldest writer in the New Testament. Um, you know, his stuff comes, he, the stuff we read from the Apostle John is coming from an old man, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his two focuses, man, are mystery and love. And I think th- those are the focal points of that last day of our lives, is, is intense love for God, for people, the sort of sum, the summation of life and the work of life is actually to love. And, and, and that's not a simple concept. That's a profound, complex, rich, deep, mind-blowing sort of concept. <clears throat> and then mystery, you know, John writing the, the Revelation and um, all of that craziness and uh, the way just seeing the world and the future and so on. So this embrace of both mystery and this, this, this future that lies before us. 
and, and thinking about contemplating eternity, that's never, that's never going to be more important than in the last phase of our lives <laughs> when, you're, when you're on the precipice of eternity. You're standing on the edge of rest and reign, which has been promised to us in the life to come, you know. So obviously we're going to have, we're going to have, that's going to be a fire that burns brighter the closer we get to it uh, in that last phase of life. And then, of course, I would argue, you know, day seven, the last day is, is actually rest. It's to, it's to leave this world and enter um, an eternal union with God and all that that means, um, all the mystery of that. Well, Brian, beautiful book, um, short, potent, uh, to the point, uh, really at the intersection of the spiritual and the practical, uh, in so many ways. Um, I didn't expect it to be as practical, uh, as it was not because it's you writing it, but because I haven't seen those kind of concepts pulled together beautifully done. What do you hope to hear when somebody finishes reading this book, this helped me to what? It's a good question. I think maybe just to, um, to not fight against those transitions in our lives, you know, because if, if you think of creation as days, you know, at least Genesis says, you know, it was evening, it was, or it was morning, it was evening the second day. And so there's that dark time, that empty space, that um, unknowing of the night in between the days. And we all go through that too. You know, we don't just seamlessly move from one, one, one stage Painful. to another. We Sorry. fight it, you know? Yeah. yeah it's totally sorry. It's confusing. It's, and hopefully that doesn't last too long that, that nighttime of confusion and uncertainty, but even that is beautiful and healthy. And it, because it drives us back to intimacy with God, it makes us go, who am I now that the kids have moved out or, that I, that I am taking on this new career or, or I'm divorced or, or I have a cancer diagnosis, whatever, whatever happens to you, that's like life altering. And then you're asking this identity thing, who am I now? And it drives you back like you did when you were 22. And you said, Lord, show me what my life is meant to be for. Um, so I, I think maybe just to make that less painful, if people could, when they go through those tra- transitions, recognize them, embrace them, turn to Jesus and let him speak to them and define the next phase of their life and feel the, the, the renewal of that. You know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at 60 year olds who have the same zeal as a 24 year old. If they can come back to the table in a sense with Jesus and say, who am I now? And then they have that renewal. It's, it's the morning of the next day you see. And, and in that sense, Every morning feels the same. It feels, you know, like new mercy and like new possibilities and all of that, um, I don't know, energy that comes from that discovery. So I would love to help people to, 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 to not see these, this, this crisis of identity that they're feeling uh, to turn it into something really wonderful. Mm, beautiful. I want to end with this as you're in this season of giving this late career season, this mentoring season, what are you dreaming about and what kingdom mischief are you getting into these days, Brian? <laughs> Man, me, it's, it's collaboration. Uh, you know, I, th- I think the three meta skills of the 21st century are self-knowledge, learning and collaboration. So, um, you know, you better you better know yourself, um, and not be afraid of the truth about yourself. 
um, you better be able to learn because you don't actually know what you need to know in the next phase of life. So you better be somebody who can learn. And uh, yeah, collaboration. I, th- I think the future of the church and the future of the world is a collaborative economy, you know, where we, we put down brands and um, we see mutual relationships. So that's, what, that's a lot of what I'm doing right now is building alliances around causes. Um, I'm, so I'm a, I'm a part of a kind of movement of people that are working in the area called impact, collective impact, um, where you get loads of agencies that care about some cause. You create, uh, you know, a common vision, common, f- you, you generate funding and so on. So I'm into that. I, I'm, I have my hands in about nine different uh, collective impact alliances right now. And it's a, it's a wild ride and um it's a good kingdom mischief is a great great way to put it it's a great frame for it is there one of those causes that you're uh i don't know more excited about or is sparking you more than others uh you can't do that man you can't say, it's on. like your children it's like it's like saying who's your favorite child your or favorite? something like that who's, i won't tell them <laughs> they're not listening <laughs> Oh man, it's it would be church planting. I mean, you know, if I if yeah, my favorite of them all, or the one I'm probably most personally connected to, is can we is collaboration around innovative new form church planting. Yeah, beautiful, Brian. Thanks for what you do. Many years you've inspired many people um, there in Tampa, Ireland, and beyond. Uh, folks, we're hearing about the six seasons of calling really really unique take at calling and uh so grateful man thanks for a conversation and we'll leave some info on brian and certainly the book in the show notes thanks for stopping by man shine, shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.